The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by Chris Dow. Allium Condimentium. And Minty Booth. Person about town. And we are talking about our very favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! If you've heard the last couple of episodes or are following us on social media, you'll know that we're running a competition at the moment where you can win a copy of Back for Blood on Steam. And also the opportunity to do a live streamed co-op session of the game with us. And, that's right, more, access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord server. Fantastic prize, and should be a lot of fun. To enter the competition, all you need to do is head over to our website, o3c.games, share one of the articles on our website on your social media platform. Loads to choose from, so have a read of our reviews, our think pieces, random bits of writing, share it on social media, and make sure you tag us in the post so we know that you've done it. We are at O3C Games on everything. If you want a bonus point, you can tag a friend in the post as well. Someone you think will enjoy the article. And then, hey, why not encourage them to do the same? Keep tagging a friend. Just keep the chain going. And before you know it, 7 billion followers. <laughs> Profit. And we'll be announcing the winner in a couple of weeks' time. Deadline for entries is the end of the month, this month of May. So have a read, have a share, and hopefully you'll be having a, a bloody good time with us in the near future. Make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 mechanical gaming keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste wireless mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionally compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys while ditching the numpad and the F keys. The Pulsefire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection and the precision you need to click heads. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulsefire Haste Wireless, a terrific twosome to keep your setup clean and clutter-free. So here we are. We are on episode 22 of season 3.5, also known as season 4, for those of you with uh, podcasting apps that don't deal in decimals, (laughs) which I believe is all of them. (laughs) Episode 22, season 4, is my amendment, uh, and I'm going to be crowbarring a game into my top 100 favourite games of all time lists, and I'm also going to be summoning one of them out of uh, the airlock into oblivion and uh, saying goodbye forever to that game never never will it set foot in my top 100 again <laughs> and frankly good riddance but before we get onto that and and we will get onto that what have we been playing this week shall i tell you what i've been playing this week go on then kick us off i haven't actually uh, had a very active gaming week this week so i've had a very busy work week uh, but what i have done is continue playing the outer worlds on my steam deck Yay. which uh, is continuing to be a really really fun time the, i mean obviously the gameplay is pretty straightforward it plays exactly like you know a bethesda rpg like elder scrolls or, or fallout obviously this is made by the guys that made fallout new vegas uh, so it brings with it the superb writing and storytelling elements that were in that game really sort of elevated well in my opinion elevated new vegas above fallout 3 actually but 
Outer Worlds is, is, is great. Every single interaction you have feels like you are directly controlling the narrative in how you respond and in like what choices you make. And it's just, yeah, it's just really lovely to play. It's endlessly entertaining in its storytelling, its character pieces. It's just great. And I love the style of it. I think I said this actually when I was first playing it a couple of years ago, but it's it's very much more Firefly than Fallout. There's like a, a brilliant space western vibe to it. And, and the different worlds that you go to all have just great character and colour. It's just, yeah, it's just really good escapism. And it's been great to have it on the Steam Deck so I can pick it up and dip in, do a little bit at a time, maybe just do, even just do like one objective on one side quest and, you know, put it back down. But it's it's always fun. It's entertaining. Um, I've reached the point now in the game where I reached the point of no return, and it basically said, "If you want to do the DLC, do it now." So I stopped and uh, gone to do the first piece of DLC, and I've gone to a, a planet called Gorgon, Gorgon, and that's just it's just great. It's just really fun. I'm sure just going to keep playing it. I'm going to play through the DLC and then I'll finish the main story and uh, I'll say well, that was really really good. And now I need to find another game to get rid of to put this one into my top 100 list <laughs> but yeah i continue to highly recommend the game i think it is much better than fallout 4 and i'm really really glad to hear that obsidian are developing a sequel to the outer worlds as well because i think now that they've got this foundation i mean it, this was already building on the great foundation that they've made with fallout new vegas and i think building on it even further with you know more sort of scope for design and all kinds of wonderful things i think it would be a, yeah it's very very exciting sequel that I'm sure we'll get in, I don't know, six years' time, maybe? Yeah, it'll be a while. I reckon that we'll still get it before we get Grand Theft Auto 6. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't believe Grand Theft Auto 6 has even been considered outside of like the earliest planning phase at the moment. No, no, I, I yeah. Because there isn't a reason to do it whilst they're still making money hand over fist with GTA 5. No. No, exactly. It's like the Mario Kart 8 situation. Yeah. It's still in the top 10 games selling at the moment. Who doesn't own it? What is now? As in Mario Kart 8. Because I, I don't own GTA 5. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> but you could. But I could. And that's the point I'm making. Do you reckon that whole Mario Kart 8 being in the top 10 games list for all time takes into account the people who play it and think, oh, I've had my fill of it. They, they trade it in. But then we get things like level packs and they buy it again. I don't know. I don't think pre-owned sales go towards anything anyway. No, they won't. If they're buying a fresh copy, either digitally or or via you know physical retail, that would count towards the, the stacks again. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult because I know a lot more people, obviously this generation, have bought things digitally and may well have Mario Kart just on their system, which means there's no room to buy it again unless you buy your kids a console and they buy their own copy. Yeah. But, you know, if someone does trade in a copy and then goes back out and rebuys it for 50 quid, then, yeah, that's another plus one on the Mario Kart pile. So, in theory, Nintendo themselves could buy, say, 100,000 copies of Mario Kart 8 physical, mind you, a week to just... Just plump up those uh, those chart scores. <laughs> are, you, are you insinuating that that is what's happening? Do you know what? I am. Yes. I'm, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say no. But I am going to say why? Because it's staying in the top ten. This is now a show where we accuse Nintendo of being insider traders. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Nintendo don't bow to pressure anyway, do they? No. So I mean, they'll just keep releasing. 
you know, DLC packs with no grass and until yeah, yeah. until literally nobody's buying it anymore. <laughs> Stop it, Nintendo. We've all got ten copies of it. You joke, but I have got two copies sat downstairs. Minty, what have you played this week? The bulk of what I've been playing for this week and uh, for the past few weeks, we're gonna we're gonna learn about next week in about 168 and a half hours. <gasps> So let me just dance around to the other things that I have been playing this week. Quick Digimon Vital Bracelets uh, update for you. Yes, please. I'm currently raising a little fella in a bird-themed hoodie. Very nice. Yeah, he's called Tempomon, and his deal was that he was created through absorbing digital data about dancing. And uh, so he's on track to digivolve into my final Mega tomorrow after which i've got two more ultimate level digimon to uh digivolve and then i'll be done with impulse city which means i can finally trade in this vital bracelet for the next one which has numerous numerous quality of life upgrades and then i can continue on my path to actually getting uh, digimon that i want i've also been playing doom with one of those add-ons that bethesda has been adding for a while i've gone back to this one that i've been on and off with for a very long time called i don't know if you've heard of it wrecker i don't know wrecker 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 have you mentioned it before i know you've played a few of the mods since since launch i don't think so i never mentioned this one because i'm really shit at it (laughs) basically it's a complete reskin with custom levels and everything instead of a uac marine um fighting back the the, the minions of hell that have uh, spewed forth from temporal anomalies uh, being created on the moons of phobos and demos yes you, you are some sort of norse hero or norse fellow heroism notwithstanding you play the titular wrecker who comes back after some sort of long Scandinavian voyage to find that uh, your hometown has been besieged by some sort of army, which is not all that it seems, because instead of marauding, raping and pillaging Vikings, it's like zombies and monsters. It's really, really well made. Like, it got a couple of CAC awards um, the year it came out, 2018. And you want to get a CAC award. <laughs> a CAC award. Oh, okay. oh, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Although, as you will soon find out, oh, no. I'm giving it a CAC award as opposed to a CAC award because I don't really like it that much. Oh, oh like, no. For, for the simple reason that we always go back to, I'm really, really bad at it. <laughs> It's a fantastic undertaking. It's incredibly well made. Uh, it's it's atmospheric. All the assets are just wonderful. It's wonderful to play, but every single enemy from the ones you meet in the first level right up until the end have the most insanely high damage rolls. Like, I'm not even playing on the hardest level setting because uh, that's just who I am as a person. I, I, I know my limitations. I'll, I'll wander into a room And before I know it, some twig-thin streak of piss has punched me for about 50 or 60 damage. And (laughs) it's just like, well, health pickups are so sparse and so is ammo. So I'm I'm there with my bow just being like, oh, 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 great. I'm going to have to reset this level because if I take one more punch from Sven or whatever, I'm uh, I'm, going to eat shit and die. So I can understand and appreciate it, but... I don't really enjoy it. So I might play through to the end of it. 
just to see what the different um, swaps have been in terms of things like uh, what, what all the new weapons are, what all the new enemies are, because it's a one-for-one -one swap with all the original Doom assets. Um, so I want to see who the new Cacodemon is, I want to see who the new Baron of Hell is, who the new Cyberdemon is, who all the new bosses are. But I'm probably just going to play it with cheats enabled. And do I feel any guilt or any shame? No! No, I don't, because I'm going to be enjoying it. And if somebody decides to send us some feedback and says, oh, you should be playing it without cheats, to you, I say, wind your neck in, otherwise I'll stick you over my knee and spank you on your little pink tush until you cry out loud. What else have I been playing? Um... <laughs> I mean, there's a time and a place to enjoy challenging gameplay, and sometimes it doesn't matter if you need to play a game on a lower difficulty setting, or if you just want to play a game on a lower difficulty setting, and, you know, in when I'm sort of getting used to playing first-person games on the Steam Deck, you can bet your bottom Bollock. dollar mm. that uh, I'm not going to be playing it on, you know, the hardest difficulty. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to jump online and play Counter-Strike with, uh, with some mofos. You know, because I'm not going to be able to keep up with that, am I? Well, famously, who can keep up with the mofos? Oh, that's what they say, isn't it? Yeah. What else have I been playing? Um, first of all, I've been carrying on with Turok 2. Good. Um, playing through on hard difficulty. And I tell you what, I don't know if I've covered this uh, when it appeared in my list or subsequent weeks when I've been playing it. I mean this in the most positive way. It's a very sloppy game, isn't it? <laughs> right? Is it? Is it now? I tell Slop you what. It everywhere. Yeah. Because oh. every single time... When you blow the cartridge, you have to wipe your knees afterwards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every single point of damage you do to an enemy, no matter what you use, whether you use your melee weapon, just a bow and arrow, the starting pistol, the shotgun, every single one causes an enemy to just erupt, just... Uh, an entire bucket of strawberry jam. <laughs> Even if it's a glancing blow, they're just like... Bon my man! And if you're lucky, you'll knock off an arm, you'll knock off a head. You might even knock off somebody's entire torso. Where's it gone? Don't know. Probably eaten by bacteria or weasels. Oh, it's so satisfying, visceral and gratifying. It's, it's really great. I'm having such a good time playing through it. Fantastosaurus. Fantastorock. Fantastorock. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that one. That's almost certainly going to be a Pokemon in Generation 9. <laughs> mm. Yeah, oh yeah, probably. And the last thing I've been playing is uh, Kirby 64, the Crystal Shards, which has just dropped onto the, uh, the Nintendo 64 expansion plus Mega Pass expansion pass nintendo this week is it good oh it is good but i'm coming into the series as somebody who only ever played um kirby's epic yarn through to completion which was one of my favorite platformers really really lovely game but i think quite different from all the other kirby games i mean obviously like 2d platformer it's kirby and all the rest of it um there was no there was no inhaling there was no enemy uh, power taking so all of these things which have been staples, core mechanics of the Kirby games, I've not come to appreciate that they are an integral part of these games. The funny thing is about that is that the very first Kirby game, Kirby's Dreamland, didn't have ability copying in it at all. And that's like, like you said, it's, it's what Kirby's known for now. That mechanic of Kirby taking on other people's powers, not in the first game. Which is mad. Yeah, which is yeah, mad. I suppose so, yeah. So like, I'd only ever seen it as... Uh, 
baggage to worry about in the Kirby games oh. uh, b- before I learned to, you know, kind of enjoy it and embrace it. I accidentally skipped the tutorial scene because I didn't realise what each button did. Because obviously it didn't come with a with a manual. Oh, do you remember manuals? Do you remember manuals? Oh, yeah. manuals. Little books that you could flip through and tell you what buttons you actually had to press to make things happen that you wanted to happen. I've got a physical manual coming for Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Oh, did you buy one from old... Uh... What's his name? Old man on the internet that makes manuals for games that don't have manuals. Yes, I bought it from him. <laughs> have you got one coming for Kirby 64? Uh, unfortunately, no. He hasn't done one for Kirby 64 and the Crystal Shards. Well, then that that, that information is, is sausage to me. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's good fun. I tell you what, it's you've really come to appreciate platform games in particular where the run button actually affects your movement speed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, like like when you run across the road, um, but you don't actually change your speed. Yeah, you, you, you just want to show the drivers that you don't want them to hit you. You do the dad run. And yeah. that's that's what Kirby does whenever you double tap um, the walk forward button. He's just like, huh, huh. no increase in movement speed. It's, it's silly. It's silly, Kirby. Once I figure out what each button does, and I'm not spitting out my power-ups instead of actually using them i reckon i'm gonna have a good time with it it's 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 nice so far i really like how it it's like you know how animal crossing new horizons instead of just a flat island it was on like a cylinder yeah, yeah. it's got like a globe effect doesn't it yeah yeah, it's yeah. yeah. so i think kirby 64 <laughs> it turns that on its head quite literally because instead of just going from left to right you're going like a little bit around i really like that it gives it a sort of gentle cinematic effect like, oh, the camera sweeps in as you're as you're walking into this castle or climbing into this tree. It was never very easy to get when I had an N64 over here for some reason. Um, or maybe I just didn't work hard enough to try and get a copy of it. But I'm glad it's here and I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm playing it. I, I often read about it in all those Nintendo magazines when, when print was, was still a thing. Oh, do you remember print? Purple Rain? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anywho, that's all I've been playing that I'm willing to share about this week. So over to you, Chris. Thank you. This week, I've had a few more blasts on Tetris Effect in my stolen moments. Because most of my best scores were on the PlayStation 4 version, I've actually quite enjoyed using the Switch port as like a sort of progress reset without actually losing my progress, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't feel compelled to kind of like do everything because I have done everything. So I can just focus on little bits that I want to do again. That's Um, like I was playing Elden Ring on the Steam Deck. It was was really, really satisfying in a very different way to like starting New Game Plus. It was like, oh, this is really nice. Anyway. Yeah, because of the way the journey mode is split up in Tetris Effect as well. I've enjoyed just choosing, say, a batch of three or four levels, like one little chunk, and then just trying to push my score on that chunk. And it's been fun to kind of get better at using the zone mechanic because obviously that's unique to this version of Tetris. It's not something that exists anywhere else. So What's that? That's when you have the power-up that freezes time and then allows you to make as many lines as possible for like a brief window for a big score payoff. Oh, yeah. And because I've been playing other Tetris games and that doesn't feature, it's not something I have kind of hardwired into how I've played Tetris recently. So it's it's been a bit of a tough change, really, to get out the headspace of something like Tetris 99, which is all about speed, which I still play here and there. And then Effect, which, you know, in journey mode, at least, is about being very organised and careful and then considering when is the best time to use this power to maximise my score and kind of the power's efficacy. 
As an extra Tetris aside, I also finally got the chance to play Tetris for the Philips CDI via emulation. Wow. <laughs> and it, it's it's a port of the game I've been fascinated with for years because I'd seen footage and things like that. It's got a sort of chill wave, vapor wave sort of soundtrack many years before either of those subgenres were properly codified. And it seems to have been developed from a design document that just read, what about Tetris? but with vibes. <laughs> and that's about all they put into it. And CDI emulation has been a nightmare for years. Like I've tried every once in a while to boot it up and I just didn't understand what it was asking me to set up. Yeah. But recently we've now got a new RetroArch core, which means it's as easy as any other old platform. As long as you have the right BIOS, you just chuck a disc image in and away you go. And it was a cool thing to just be able to play for half an hour to kind of fill that little... It's like having a missing jigsaw piece. Mm, that's nice. That I, I knew of it and I knew about it, but I've never actually like felt it to actually kind of like pick up a pad and play it. So that was that was cool. Outside of Tetris, I've also been quite taken with a game very outside of my traditional wheelhouse. And that has been the Square Enix developed Dungeon Encounters. Oh, yeah. Uh, that I'm playing on the Switch. Now, the JRPG has always been a bit of a struggle for me because... The genre lends itself to heavy story, lends itself to layered mechanics, and sometimes daunting complexity and significant length. And Dungeon Encounters as a different sort of RPG looks at just the basics of what an RPG is and strips away just about everything. So it reduces the game world just to floors of a dungeon that are represented just by tiles as if they've been drawn out on graph paper. The whole story of the game is exactly two paragraphs long of text at the start, and all of the encounters, all of the events, anything you're going to bump into is just represented by numbers on this game board. And reviews seem to either love it or really hate it. <laughs> but that was enough to make me go, I think I'm going to be interested in this. Like something that polarizing is probably more for me than like a classic JRPG that everyone says, oh, it's fantastic. You know, it really, really leans into the genre and it's, it's doing all these great things. Because people were like, ah, I don't know about that actually. <laughs> and other people would say, it's amazing. I was like, yep, giving this a go. <laughs> Some of the stuff I really like, the party members you pick, you kind of have a pool that you take from. They've all got their own little bit of flavor text. And that's enough to give them like a nice bit of character. The whole game's got a real visual clarity to it because of like the, the stripped back game boards. And it means the whole thing feels more like an abstract puzzle game than a big epic JRPG. And the truncated battle system feels like really readable, even for a role-playing dunce like me. When you do come to fight an enemy, you only ever have to balance two things, and that's magical defense and physical defense, because every enemy attack will target one of those on your characters, and every one of your attacks will target one of those on an enemy. And to injure an enemy, you have to drain that sort of character's pull of either magic or physical defense and then after that a further attack using that skill will actually hurt them so you're you're managing kind of these different bars as it goes and as soon as you see it and you've pressed the a button once to kind of hit something it's really simple to understand but it has enough depth to it as well because it's using the the final fantasy active battle system that i hear has been around for a long time but again my experience is very very limited and rather than kind of characters leveling up and then suddenly having like massive stat increase and things like that, it basically all comes down to the gear that you are finding or buying and equipping. So it's very clear that it's like, this thing is better than that thing. Let's put it on and be better. So as you kind of come to improve your, your potential damage output in either area. What I also really like about it, it's a fun game to play with a notebook in hand <laughs> because all the event squares or the shops or locations or encounters on the map, they're, they're just numbers, like I said, rather than symbols or anything more visual. And it means that walking into a black zero one 
will always mean you're going to have a specific battle. And that means you can sort of prepare a loadout and you can think, okay, well, what worked against that enemy before? What do I need to do? And then in terms of the positive stuff as well, a white 05 or 06 is always going to be a sanctuary to heal or, or revive your party, respectively. And it's very minimalist. But again, for me, that's been, it's really enticing. It's something about it, having to kind of like paint the picture in your head, I've, I've appreciated and enjoyed. Even like really negative event squares on later floors, whilst pretty frustrating at first, they, they can be something you then learn from. Because from memory, I think it was like a black... Zero eight maybe that caused one of my strongest party members to be petrified in place and unusable but after i made a little note saying watch out for that number mm -hmm. i know then to approach it with a bit of caution and reverence in the future and everything about it is just streamlined and mechanically knowable and with a bit of trial and error you get better and it kind of you know you start to make proper progress and uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it it's a bit roguish, I suppose, mm. though I don't know if the dungeon floor layouts are randomly generated or if they're fixed because they seem very curated and designed. So I feel like it could be that they are the stages. It's just because it looks so stripped back, people have kind of assumed maybe it's just kind of randomised. Obviously, it's a bit board game-ish because of the amount of work that needs to exist in your head outside of the simplified bits on the screen. And some reviews said it's a bit D&D-ish, but again, I've got no experience playing Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. I would say if any of these elements appeal to you, I would recommend watching some gameplay footage first to see if the visual dressing is enough for you to kind of justify spending the money. But then anyone could jump in and potentially enjoy it. Although, to be honest, I wouldn't say I'm the type of person who loves any of those main things I've just mentioned, and yet I've really <laughs> got a kick out of it. So kind of make of that what you will. <laughs> Like in doing a bit of research before I bought it, I found a Steam review for the game that read, if you're like me, you'll read the negative reviews of the game and go, wow, that sounds like an amazing game. <laughs> and and, and that, that was exactly my feeling. It's like, it's a, it's a pretty arse backwards way of describing the game and, and kind of, you know, having a recommendation essentially by way of having it not recommended to you. But it captures something about how this is just such a pure RPG that, in 2022, that purity makes it feel like an anti-RPG. Yeah. And again, that clearly is something I'm pretty into, at least at the moment. It's also really, really long. <laughs> like after about five hours of play now, my party's only managed to descend to floor number 10 of a possible 99. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's, it's a lengthy, grindy, sometimes grueling experience. But as I said, I'm pretty into it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know if this will carry on, but something about it has really, really grabbed me at the moment. I, uh, I remember when it was announced and, and I was really intrigued by it. And like you said, I, I love the stripped back minimalist approach to it. it. It reminded me of that game. Again, you told me about the open world game, the open world game. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah. Or was it something like that? That one that is basically just boils down an open world game to its core mechanics and goes, right, let's just have that. And yeah, it looks, yeah. Really, it, it looks really, really nice. And I love the art style of it. And like you said, I like the capacity to fill in the blanks in your head. And, uh, and that's just really, really cool. Yeah. I did have a quick look to see whether or not it's Steam Deck supported uh, because I found a, a nice discount code for it uh, to pick it up for £15 on Steam. But unfortunately, it is actively not supported by Steam Deck. So uh. until there's a, there's a, a patch to to enable um compatibility and um, that won't be any good to me unfortunately i wonder why it's like with all those games because so many are are unsupported but then actually work quite well yeah and people just give them a go it's just they haven't got round to looking 
Um, but the ones that actively say no <laughs> is different, isn't it? The- yeah, exactly. So it'll be a question mark if it hasn't been tested or hasn't been confirmed. And then it'll be like a, a, a no entry sign. It even says some or all of this game is unplayable. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you go, I'm not going to bother. Yeah. Unfortunately, we haven't heard the uh, traditional weekly ching of uh, my bank balance. <laughs> I tried. I really tried. <laughs> <laughs> You're almost successful. Literally, if it had been Steam Deck yeah. supported, I would have bought that and uh, yeah. gleefully said, <laughs> and it's downloading now. That's <laughs> <laughs> your way. Yes. Absolute prick that I am. Well, there we go. Oh, you ready for my amendment? I am. Yeah. Lay it on us. I bloody will. Many, many months ago, Minty talked about F-Zero GX when it appeared as your number 49 in your top 100 list. And you described the game as the coolest game you've ever played. It is. Oh, it's so cool. The music, the characters, the backstory, racing at thousands of kilometres per hour. There's nothing like it. There really isn't. You're absolutely right. It's insanely cool. However... I think my amendment this week is a contender for the coolest design I think I've seen in a game. And that game is Control. Control. Oh, snazzy. Very snazzy. So you might remember me talking about it when I played it, because I, I played it um, at some point in the last couple of years, and I raved about it then, I believe. But if you didn't listen to that, or if you listened to that and forgot it, or if you just want to hear me talk about it again, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Control is a third-person action game set in a very surreal, dystopian world. You play as a character called Jesse, who uh, is mysteriously appointed the director of the Federal Bureau of Control, which is a federal US agency charged with monitoring strange phenomena that violate the laws of reality. It's not a real place, not a real uh, bureau. <laughs> so don't go, don't go look at it. No, it might be. Who knows? But your appointment uh, arrives at the same time as a strange reality-manipulating malevolent force descends on the Bureau, and it's all tangled up with elements uh, from Jesse's past and the future of this establishment. And the game largely takes place within the headquarters of this agency, and it's quite an intentionally stressfully disorientating interior of this building with corridors looking the same but but different and making you wonder if reality is shifting or if it's just your perception of it or if you're lost or if you're being led astray it's it's insanely cool there's just an incredible clarity of design everything from the clinical art direction of the bureau mixed with the wonderful weirdness of the supernatural elements in the game which they just clash so brilliantly the visual flourishes that you get there are aesthetic motifs that serve as artistic shorthand for certain story beats even the way like the titling and the text work in the game it's just so incredibly bold and cool and the sound design is also astounding like Part of this comes across in how the story's told in the game, and it's told through first-person narration by Jessie. And the way it's done feels like she's just whispering the story in your ear, more than like, you know, reciting a script or narrating the square panels in a comic book. It's just brilliant, and it's a very, very clever way of 
bringing you into the story and helping you lose yourself in this world and connect yourself with the character and her journey. And the writing of the game is brilliant. It's just a fantastic story. It's unlike any other sci-fi story that I've read or played or seen, but it's also got, you know, familiar elements from other things like, you know, the monolithic sterile buildings feel like it's straight out of 1984. Some of the sci-fi elements feel very, you know, Philip K. Dick or Isaac Asimov. And the supernatural elements feel, you know, very Stephen King at times. But there's so much that is unique in this game that make it stand out as its own thing. And the story really is the standout of this game. Like all the twists and turns that it makes, the reveals, the metaphysical nature of your role as the player. It's a game that I actually don't think would lose a huge amount if it removed all of the action gameplay from it. If it was just like just a walking simulator game, because like the story is so strong, but it is also a story that needs to be played as a game for it to properly resonate and to convey like all the different ideas that it wants you to experience. So it's an incredible bonus, really, that the game is also incredibly fun to play. <laughs> like you've got really, really tight control of your character, and the action mechanics are very, very satisfying. There's also like a, a platforming element to the game as well, and that works brilliantly as your supernatural powers develop they allow you to transcend more and more complex physical obstacles and also the way your abilities develop to use in combat is equally as exciting making you just really feel powerful just the more and more <laughs> control that you get uh, <laughs> oh i guess it it's masterfully done it really is the way that the traditional gameplay developments uh, you get that like you would in any other action game those are intrinsically tied into the story beats it's not just an upgrade for an upgrade's sake your experience of the game grows with how the story is being told it's it's difficult to describe it in such like an oblique way as this but you know i, I really don't want to spoil any of the revelations it needs to be played really to to, to be properly experienced and i yeah. would really encourage anyone anyone to play it and it's available on quite a lot of things these days although don't play the cloud version of the game on the switch because apparently that's bunk that's crap like uh <laughs> most 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 cloud games unfortunately i haven't got around to playing the dlc for the game and i know that Obviously, Remedy Games, who, who made this, also made Alan Wake, and it's also the part of that universe, that shared universe. And I've never played Alan Wake either, and I know there's a remaster out now, which is on my Steam wish list to, to get at some point. And I would love to see how those worlds link together and try and get my head around everything that's going on. I got the Ultimate Edition of Control on the PS5. It was one of like the free monthly games on PlayStation Plus. Definitely the best game that <laughs> I've ever got from PlayStation Plus, like hands down. But uh, obviously, typically, I have also now bought the game on on Steam, so I can replay it on my Steam Deck, uh, which is which is also great fun. And I've I've played the first few hours of it, and it's it's really nice to be back in that world. But also, it is a, it's a very oppressive game. It's it's yes. it is also yeah. quite a, quite a spooky game. Yes, it's got very intense atmosphere to it that really sort of sets you on edge. Which um, I'm sure you'd enjoy, Chris. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I tried. Uh, well, I didn't try. I did play the first couple hours, and I found the experience of being in that world made me feel very similar to when I watched Eraserhead for the first time. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> Something about uh, you know the, the way the soundtrack is used in Eraserhead. I, there's a levity to it. There's, there's like an element of kind of dark comedy to it, but there's also just brown noise. It's very oppressive, <laughs> like you said. It's yeah. It's that. It's that kind of like consistent 
industrial kind of hum yeah. behind everything. Yeah. And it makes things feel claustrophobic even when they are quite open. Yeah. Uh, and I think Control does that with its environments. And yeah, I, I found it I found it quite hard to play mm. uh, in a similar way to, to Resident Evil 4. Yeah. Obviously with less avert, this is like a zombie horror thing. It just, it felt uncomfortable for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's to its credit that it has all those elements, all those design elements working together so, so well to create that atmosphere. No department has dropped the ball in the development of this game. It is, it's, it's incredibly well made. Like the game, like it really, it grew in my mind more after I'd played it. Like I, I loved it when I played it, but it never left my brain when I'd moved on to the next game as you know, some, some games do. You play it, you enjoy it, you move on, you forget about it. But it, it kept coming into my thoughts and other things I played or watched would remind me of it a little bit and I'd, you know, remember something from Control and just what a great experience it gave me. Or just simply just recalling that that intense atmosphere and just sort of I guess in a way sort of having like a reverence for it and just being, yeah, in awe of it. Because it is such an incredible thing to experience. And the more it just kept trickling into my thinking, the more I realised that I needed to find a place for it in my list. And then the more I had that thought, uh, the more I dwelt on it and the the higher up my list it kept moving. And now here we are, trying to find where it's landed. And I think this game is going to land somewhere in the top 40 for me. It's it's, it's it's not, not quite up there with my last couple of amendments with Sekiro and Outer Wilds. But it's 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 really up there alongside the likes of games such as like This War of Mine and Sea of Thieves, which were both amendments this season and are also equally as brilliant examples of storytelling in video games. And I'm going to take out the game that's n- it's not entirely dissimilar uh, in what it's doing uh, to control, which is tell a sci-fi story that's all about weird supernatural alien phenomena descending on a scientific establishment told through a rollicking action story. And that's the original Half-Life. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say Half-Life 2. <laughs> Just yoink it off the top. <laughs> Pull the rug out of that one. Shut up, you dick. <laughs> Pipe down, Jesus. Obviously, the original Half-Life is a great game. It's superb, and without that game, we wouldn't have been given Half-Life 2, which is one of the very best games of all time. That's just... That's not up for debate. But given the choice to play Half-Life or Half-Life 2, there's not a single time I'd say, I'll play the original. And also, to be honest, given the choice between playing Half-Life or Control, uh, I'd play Control. So, there it is. Half-Life is out, but still... Very much loved, and obviously no love lost for Half-Life 2, but Control is a very welcome, very welcome addition to my list. Although maybe, maybe now I feel that maybe I've been manipulated by the game. Oh. Maybe it's sent some sort of subliminal message into me that's just been tapping away my subconscious. You've been Daryl Browned. Shit. That's the official verb. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you'll ever go back to playing it, Chris? If I sit with you and play it with you... Yeah, I mean, the, the only way I managed to play the first chunk was with someone in tow. <laughs> so, absolutely. Like, if it, with all these games, any time I struggle with something, I've probably got half a chance if someone opts to come and sit next to me. <laughs> just, you know, just like a comforting arm around my shoulder and, and just be like, it's all right, it's not that bad, is it? You can, it's not that bad. 
That's what I need. I just need someone doing that for the for the full hour play session, week on week, until I get through these things. Well, if any of you are interested in that, please contact Chris. <laughs> and um, there's probably half living wage he, he can afford to pay you on that. Um, but yeah. he will give you uh, a chip. <laughs> Everyone likes chips. Yeah. Can you get it on anything other than the Switch that I might have? No. <laughs> Not even on Android or iOS. Is it simply a console or PC thing? Something with a bit of grunt behind it. I think so. Yeah. 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 Ab- absolutely. Especially as like the edition that's available now. The ultimate edition is PS5 and Xbox Series X. But uh, you never know. There could be a time when I uh, lend you my PS5 for a bit, or lend you my Steam Deck for a bit, and you can catch up on some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose so. I'm looking at the PS5 now and. I'm not going to be able to get that on the fucking bike, am I? (laughs) (laughs) Someone tweeted the other day and said, uh, after a year's thought, I genuinely believe the PS5 is the ugliest console ever made. And I'm I'm 100% with them. I'm not. I mean, one, I'm not with them. Two, I've I've never cared less about how something looks. It's... it's, (laughs) It's so unimportant. And I don't have a problem with the way it looks. It's not important, but there's... I, I think there's something about... A console's design, or just general hardware design, you know, in, in every part of our lives where we, we use technology, and it communicates something of what the object does in terms of just, like, the, the feel of it, like, the point of it. And as much as I hate the design of the uh, the Xbox Series X as well, the fact that it is just a big square box, that is a console that is meant to be almost a utilitarian thing now. You get Game Pass, you've got access to a billion things, it just sits there, it does a job. And the PlayStation 5 is, like, Here's a spaceship. What is that communicating to me other than this looks terrible underneath my TV? I don't know what the vibe is. I don't know what they're going for. But you're not going to complain about how your DVD player looks, are you? I might have done. Why? <laughs> I mean, obviously, I've, I've just re-bought the backwards compatible PlayStation 3 recently. That is a horrible looking machine. I, I think they look great because that has kind of like a... It's big. It's definitely big. I'm not going to take that away from it. But it's got a curved kind of cool. And that's what they were really leaning into. Like that kind of mid-2000s look where it's like everything was was sleek enough. It was like post the early kind of Apple sort of styling and all that kind of thing where, where clean lines and the, the curves of the original iPod. It was really going for that. But obviously in, in a kind of PlayStation way. And I think the PlayStations generally, I've, I've never had a problem with how any of those machines looked from PlayStation 1 to now until the 5. And I just, I don't know why it needs wings. I don't know why my console needs wings. Airflow? I don't know. No. I am with you there, Chris. Good. I, I think back to all the electronics I've ever had, like outside of the N64 and at a stretch, the Super Nintendo, which they were cuboid, but they had a blobbiness to them. Yeah. Uh, most of the electronics I've ever had they are cuboid, they are oblong, they fit inside uh, a shelving unit well, which is by itself rectangular and cuboid yeah i'm looking at this ps5 now it reminds me of one of those trees that has those um has those bits of fungus growing (laughs) who was there in the conference room and said we need to create a console that looks like it has leprosy (laughs) this is what i get I, i i feel like it's these white bits are wet and they've just come off like a contagious skin disease well Tune in next week to find out who's not going to be borrowing my PS5. (laughs) Well, there we go, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, That was my amendment this week, and it was Control. Uh, Fantastic game, highly recommended. Play it, not on the Switch. 
If you've enjoyed this episode or you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on your social media platforms, tag us in your posts at O3C Games, chat to us on there as well. And if you want to be in with a chance of winning a copy of Back for Blood and a co-op streaming session with us, then share one of the articles from our website, O3C.Games, tag us in the post. If you want a bonus entry, tag a friend, get them to share it. It just goes on and keeps giving and we'll have a great time. It'd be wonderful. You can reach out to us individually as well. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. At sign C-L-E-M-E-N-T underscore B-double-O. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, please feel free to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash O3C Games. You can find loads of perks on there in exchange for a few pounds of pleasury. Uh, I mean, starting as little as just like a pound a week. It'd be a really, really big help to us. And that's just chipping in a buck an episode. We'd love that. And you get deleted scenes, bonus episodes, access to the Discord server. It'd be wonderful. So, yeah, check that out. And we'll see you. Uh, should we say should we send meet back here? I reckon so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, reconvene. Weeks time. Great. And we'll hear what Minty's amendment is. You'll be glad you did. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Do you love Japan and video games? Well, so do we. We're Kinsey and Mark from Kyoto Indie Devs Chuhai Labs. Join us twice monthly for games, silly Japan news, and all-around nonsense. We stink at making commercials. (laughs) We f***ing got this one, bro. Be sure to stop by the Chuhai Labs Discord to chat about our games or ask us questions. Chuhai Labs and the Nasty Labs Podcast. We're legally the best. Take a time machine back to before the world went to hell around the year 2000. The 80s and 90s were so rad. The movies, the music, the TV, the games? That's what I want to talk about. If you're cool enough, join us and listen to Less Than 2000. Because that's all we talk about. Adam and Chad live Less Than 2000. Now part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Do you play games on the PC? Then make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 Mechanical Gaming Keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste Wireless Mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionally compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys without the numpad and function keys. The Pulse Fire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection, up to 100 hours of battery life, and is even water resistant. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulse Fire Haste Wireless. Keep your setup clean and clutter free with the Alloy Origin 65 mechanical keyboard and the Pulse Fire Haste Wireless Mouse.